Gunning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben is Brent Gunning. In case you missed it, off the top of the show, we talked about this Ken Rosenthal report. Hey, where was Ross Atkins yesterday at the winter meetings? Who can, who can say? Yeah. Certainly not, certainly not Ross Atkins. No, he's not allowed to say. I think we could have inferred that it had something to do with Shoei Otani, but I think most people thought that was because Ross Atkins was in California to go meet with him and his representatives mm-hmm. at the CAA headquarters. But not so, according to Ken Rosenthal. In the clearest sign yet of the Blue Jays' interest in Shoei Otani, club officials are believed to have met Monday with the Japanese superstar at the team's spring training complex in Dunedin, Florida. That's so much pressure. Like, I do think about the human component Oh, of my this, God. Where you've got, like, a half a billion on the line. You've got the next decade of your franchise this wrapped up in, I'm happy you brought in, this up. in, like, a, what, a five-hour meeting? It's maybe an hour. Like Who knows? It could be six minutes. It's like... <laughs> The manager's there. John Schneider's there. Ross Atkins is there. Like, was he you, allowed to talk? Do you? And also, you don't speak Japanese. Like, I, I, I really am interested in the actual nuts and bolts of the way this is. This, they, this went down. Like, I'm half joking when I say this, but like, did they bring you say Kikuchi? Right. Like, no. Uh, legitimately, why? somebody he's looked up to before. Yeah. You know, he's, he went to the same high school, wore the same number. Yeah. Maybe. What's involved here? I would, oh, oh God, I'd love to know. Like it is, you know, obviously there's a million reasons why you would want Shohei to sign with the the Jays, but I think the biggest, not, okay, not the biggest, definitely other like actual tangible reasons. But one of the biggest reasons is that if he signs, you do get all the story. Mm-hmm. If he signs with the Blue, the Blue Jays, like maybe it's less of a thing in LA because they've been through this before, but it's like wherever he signs, those reporters and your, your moroses of the world will have the like, here's the backstory of what it took to woo him. And it's like, that's like, it's down the list, but it's not at the bottom of it for Man. reasons you'd want him to sign here. Because um, think about, again, we brought up the Tavares comparable, right? We would have, ne- if Tavares decided to go be a shark, we never would have heard that Mitch Marner was doing, mm, you know, loop-de-loops eh, on no, the ice. But, I mean, we did hear when Steven Stamkos decided not to sign here that well, it was yeah, the Canadian but, Tire guy. Yeah, that was to put blame on one other person who <laughs> did not involve the organization. I highly doubt they would have been like, honestly, he didn't like Marner's stride. God. <laughs> I, I, I can only imagine the type of regret, the, the type of, like revisiting what we did, what we said oh is going to take place in that Blue Jays front office if, in fact, they do not win out on the bidding for Shohei Otani. Well, but maybe not because if he goes to the Dodgers, it's like, well, what more could we have done? You there, know, is, there is an element to that, right? Yeah, and and the Dodgers have world-class facilities as well, but not in spring training. They actually share a spring training facility with Chicago White Sox. Oh, that, you know, this is this is unkind of me to say, but... That's not the team I'd like. If you gave me a draft of teams, you'd have to share it with. It's like Dodgers. I'd feel better about. Mm. Yeah, White Sox. Yeah, yeah. I, I and I don't know. Again, how do you go about this as well when you you probably know as much about what Shohei Otani wants as anybody else, which is not a lot. Like you're guessing too, right? Imagine the White Sox get to play Kingmaker and all this. They leak that he had the meeting there. It's like, yeah, what do I care if he goes to the Dodgers or not? I guess they'd want him in the NL as opposed to the AL. And I wonder, you know what? (laughs) Now that that my brain is racing, thinking about these possible permutations and thought processes of all these different teams, the fact that the Blue Jays were not in the running the first time means they have less information than some of the teams that were Mm -hmm. in the running the first go-around. Cleaner Uh, slate as well, though. Yeah, I mean, again, if if you're looking at Reasons why teams would have the the leg up, like 
granted, I, 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 I hope this doesn't happen. <laughs> and I, I truly don't believe he's going back to the Angels. But the Angels have the best idea of anybody as to what sure. exactly Shohei Otani wants, what a he clean, likes. A clean locker there. That was the last thing we know he wanted. Um, And apparently he wants to win, but the fact that he is currently re-engaging with the Angels makes me question that one also. Here's the thing. If he wants to win and he wants the most money, there's really no argument against nope. the Dodgers. Like nope. I don't know I don't know what it well, is. Well, I mean, some people would say choker franchise who's never won a real World Series in this era is what they would say. Okay, it's but a wrong well, argument. How, how many World Series the Blue Jays have also won oh, in this many, era? As many as playoff games as they've won in this era. Right. No, no, I'm not I'm not selling you on that. I just think there is some element of like, hey man, they've had their million cracks at it and have not been able to well, again, I know they have, but depending on how you feel about the COVID yes. bubble world series, whatever. Yeah, I, I t- and Vegas would agree that the Los Angeles Dodgers are still the favorites. Yep. Maybe not heavy favorites. They're minus 200, the Blue Jays plus 250. Even with yesterday's report that uh, Shohei Otani was in Dunedin. All right, time now for our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's insider, the great John Morosi of MLB Network in Nashville. How's it going, John? Friends, uh, it has been quite a week already, and and you're right. You're right. The, the Jays and the the reported meeting in Dunedin, um, in a lot of ways, that has been the story of the meeting so far. That that just tells you how big Shohei Otani is, and and how starved we are for news. I think as well. But uh, really, it caught a lot of attention late last night. Yeah, it's not necessarily surprising considering the the, the secrecy and the, the bizarreness of the Ross Atkins situation yesterday. It's also maybe not the only time he's met in person at, at somewhere other than the, his agent's offices. But yeah, what what does, in your mind, this change? The, the, the fact that, and again, I, I, assuming that the report is correct, and Ken Rosenthal, generally on it, I would say, um, what does this change tangibly if, in fact, Shohei Otani has gone to Dunedin to uh, to in- investigate the facilities? It's a great question. It, it I would not use the word change. It just affirms that the Blue Jays are still involved in this, and it affirms that they are a serious candidate to sign up because at this point in time, Shohei would not be doing cursory introductory conversations. And certainly – going all the way to to Dunedin is important. Of course, he's he's never had a spring training in Florida before. So I think the Jays know that he's already been to Toronto. And then if you're going to have one meeting and one chance to, to sell him on your vision, that you would do it in Florida. You would do it at the, the state-of-the-art facility that I know Mark Shapiro was incredibly proud of. And uh, I myself, this spring, Mark took me around, and it, it's it's impressive. I, I I was very very taken by just the, the the thought that's been put into every single detail of that facility, and and the next level stuff. Some of which certainly I was able to see, and some of which is for the players themselves about the pitching lab and the ways of helping people get better. And for someone in, in Shohei's case who was so is so intrigued by the way that the body works and and biomechanics and, and making yourself the best that you can be. This is why in a lot of ways, it may sound interesting and and to really pull back and look at it. If the Jays are able to, 
to make this happen, if they're able to sign him, then all the money they invested in, in this facility will be worthwhile, will be part of the sales pitch that made it work. And I think this was part of the vision all, all along was that it would help, that the quality of the facility would help bring people in. I'm not sure that any of us realized at the time that the guy that we're going to try to bring in was Joey Otani. Yeah, it's a, it's interesting the way those things work out. You know, you you budget a hundred million bucks for something that you think is going to improve your ball club, and you think of it of improving. You know, each player by you know a decimal percentage point can can maybe add up to that. But if it lands them Shohei Otani, it'd, it'd certainly add up to that in one one foul swoop. You know, the the thing I've been wondering about all this, and you know, kudos to Ben, he brought this up as well. The idea that how important can secrecy really be to Shohei Otani? if this continues to bleed on much longer because, and again, like, Hey, he's entitled to take as long as he humanly wants to make this decision. But if you want to keep things quiet, there is a realistic element of this, that the longer this goes on and teams are doing a good job, keeping this quiet, but more and more will leak out. I mean, again, he, he, to my knowledge, and I shouldn't say this, I shouldn't confirm this because I don't know for certain, but I don't think he can teleport places. I'm pretty sure he still has to fly there, drive there. Like everybody else, people will see him. Like things will leak out. How how do you kind of read that? The idea of secrecy and privacy being so important to him. Well, leading this into the GM meetings week, where we know it's hard to harder to keep things quiet. That's an excellent point. And it, what I would say is, you, you think about the big picture here, and, and I, I really want to make this point too that Susan Slusser of the San Francisco Chronicle reported that that there's a very strong indication that he met with the giants on Saturday in San Francisco. So by that, by that metric, we should be talking about the giants as much as Jays, at least from a, from a structural standpoint, what we have is evidence that they met with Shohei in San Francisco on Saturday. And then evidence that he met with the Jays yesterday in Dunedin at, th- at that point, barring any other information about where the offers are from each team, which we don't have, we are led to believe that they're both in it at the same level. So this is one of the, the final round conversations, I believe, is, is what we could say that as he's getting closer to a decision, if you're visiting those places, you're, you're probably in that final stage. You're probably in the final group. Uh, how do we rank order the final group? It's pretty hard to be able to discern that. And, and to your to your exact question, I, I think that discretion is is what Nesbolello at CAA and what Shohei want. They want discretion and and privacy and, and confidentiality in the process to the extent that it's possible. Do I think that based on some of the things we said about how potentially it would be held against teams if there if information and details about things leaked out. I I don't buy for a second that the fact that that we now know that there was a meeting yesterday is all of a sudden going to result in Nez calling up uh, Mark Shapiro and saying, "You know what? Uh, now that now that people know that there was a meeting, we're done." I mean, yeah. it's just it's that that's absurd. So, um and uh, you know, Shohei again, he values his privacy. He doesn't necessarily like his business to be mentioned a bunch to the media. It's important to note he basically has not done a formal press briefing with, with the local press in, in L.A. and uh, taking questions in an open forum since the early days of August. I mean, he just 
it doesn't happen. He's not he's not very available. Uh, basically, heads heads of state speak with the media much more frequently than Joey does. So it <laughs> it is a uh, it's he's a difficult get, and that's just how he likes it to be. That's his prerogative. The 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 league is clearly not interceded here to mandate that he talk, and so. We are where we are. There's a bit of an information vacuum, and, and that doesn't make it necessarily easy for for people like me. But this is not they're not thinking about me here. This is not this is not about us. This is not this is about him doing his um, his best to get all the information he needs to make a, a life changing choice. And I, I tend to think he's earned the right to privacy to make that call and, and do things on his terms. And, and he's been doing it on his terms, but I think he's probably realizing that when we're all in Nashville and we're all working on this, there, there are limitations to the expectation of privacy when you are mm-hmm. a global sports icon. I mean, if, if you didn't, if, if you didn't want to sign up for some level of scrutiny, there are, Many other careers that we could think of that would not involve this level of scrutiny. This is this is part of the job, and I think he knows that. We all know that, and um, this this will obviously be culminating in a press conference somewhere, and it's going to be quite an event, wherever and whenever it happens. But he won't be taking questions when that happens. You know what? That'd be fine. Honestly, if that was part of the stipulation, it's like I'll sign in Toronto, but at the introductory press conference, I, I no questions. I'll why just make a statement? Why stop there? Yeah. No questions ever. <laughs> ever. Ever. That's fine. And obviously, the Blue Jays would just uh, be uh, perfectly happy uh, watching him uh, do his talking on the field. They'd so, have like Big Dom, the Eagles' head of security, right. uh, keeping him safe in the postseason press. So, so you had to be the party pooper, John, that tweeted out: Could Shohei Otani and Juan Soto both join the Blue Jays this offseason? No. Well, that's not fun. Why would you uh, say that? Well, and you know what? Um, Ross Atkins, in his very secretive uh, Zoom availability yesterday, basically reiterated <laughs> that, John. I, and I, I get it. I understand that that that's that's quite a bit, I mean, just financially um, tied up in a, in a couple of guys because Soto in arbitration is going to make north of $30 million bucks. But I am thinking about, okay, say the what I previously thought was unthinkable happens uh, and Shoy Otani lands in Toronto. It's not the most seamless fit. He's an everyday DH. Uh, it means there's no more DH days for Vlad. It means there's no more DH days for George Springer. It also means the Blue Jays still need a left fielder, a third baseman, and maybe a second baseman, and and maybe some more pitching depth. Like, how much wiggle room will they have financially outside of Shohei Otani? Because it does feel like even if you land him, which is the coup of all coups, and really it's all secondary stuff, but you do have to field the roster, and, and one man alone doesn't take you from 89 wins to 100. Right. And so when you look at the way that this team is structured, to, to back up for a moment, this is one of the things that, I, that I've kind of said about how Shohei and signing Shohei looks and, and is presented to your team, is that he becomes not as much a player alone, but, but a part of the organizational infrastructure. He would be, think of him as part player, part of the ballpark reimagination of Rogers center and, and the premium seats and a lot of other things that are going in there that you have this iconic star to, to sell. And I, I, so I think you pursue him because it's a once in a lifetime opportunity and, and you just want to see it through to the end and put your best foot forward. And then if you get him, 
which I still think is not terribly likely. It's possible, but it's it, I'm, I'm not going to say that they're favorites here at this at this juncture. But if if you get them, then you say okay, whatever headaches that we've now uh, granted ourselves with our with our payroll and our roster, they're all worth it. And so let's get to work. Yeah. And does that mean you you trade George Springer and 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 assume half the money or whatever you have to do? That's a possibility. Um, that and that's where I think it's a really good insight on your part to to mention that about George because. I'm of the mind that it's going to be hard to ask Springer to be an effective player without having a bunch of DH days. Mm -hmm. That's just what his track record says is necessary right now. And so until that changes, I'm just not sure what, what they'll, what they'll be able to do. And and I, I tend to think you're spot on that, potentially trying to match up on a, on a big contract and, and move George might end up being one of the next steps. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why if you bring in Shohei, you need to be completely all in on all of the secondary and, and tertiary deals and elements that will have to follow it. It's, it, it is, you're, you're exactly right. This is, this cannot be the, this is not like the end of your work for the offseason. It's it's in many ways the mm-hmm. beginning of work and even more work than you thought because uh, not for nothing he's not gonna he's not gonna join your rotation this year either. Mm-hmm. And and even then, if you look at this is the other really important piece, you have to consider who will be in my rotation in 2025, and then based on the way that Shoei was utilized with the with the Angels. He's not starting on every fifth day. It's every sixth day. So you're really not even necessarily bumping out your least effective starter. You still need five other starters to make it all work. So it's, it's endlessly complicated. Is it worth it? Well, of course it's worth it, but uh, in, a, in any sort of sense. But you had better be ready to continue to, to plunge more money and more money and more resources into making it work because this is not – he is he is the greatest player in the world to add, but he is not the easiest player in the world to add. No. And we have to remember that that's part of all things Shohei right now. Yeah, but uh, all he costs is money. It's a lot of it, but all he costs is money. And Juan Soto costs um, actual players, actual um, capital, uh, as far as potentially major league ready players. Um so yeah, it would be it would be a fine consolation prize for Blue Jays fans to get Juan Soto, I think, and that's clearly where the pivot would would be if they miss out on on Shohei Otani. Um, could Alec Manoa be the centerpiece of that deal? Like, is that enough going back to to, to San Diego? Considering yes, he was one of the the top five pitchers in the American League the two previous years before last year, but last year he looked like a guy that well, and he didn't belong in the major leagues of baseball. Is is that enough? going back to, to San Diego for one year of Juan Soto? It's a great question. I, I think that, first of all, the Padres, from everything I've been told, they are really prioritizing pitching. So in that, in that sense, it works. Uh, I, I guess I would say this. I have a hard time seeing the Jays land Juan Soto without giving up Manoa. Uh, maybe it's Manoa plus Davis Schneider, plus another arm, something like that. But I I just think the the Padres need inexpensive players to give them a credible chance to compete this year. Because even if they trade Soto, 
They're probably not going to trade Machado. They're not going to trade Bogarts. This is not a rebuild. So if they want to compete in that division, they need some right now pitching. They've just lost until unless they resign him, which I don't expect they will. They just lost the Cyan Award winner in Blake Snell. They, so they got to replace him. And and I, I, I do believe if you look at the value that Alec had a year ago, coming off the season he had in 22, you would say that Manoa for, for Soto, for one year of Soto, straight up, would be a dramatic overpay on the Jays' part. That that would have been a tremendous overpay based on the way Alec performed in 22. Now, obviously, his value has changed. That's, that's real. His value is not what it was. But it, it, it's also not zero. And, and as, as disastrous as his season was, he hasn't forgotten how to pitch. And if he needs, if, if what we have been said by his camp is accurate about just basically needing, that, that it wasn't so much uh, that he changed necessarily his form of pitching or anything like that. He just needed to have some more rest time. So he needed basically after a massive innings increase in 22 that, that some regression was inevitable in the next year and that he just sort of, sort of needs to reformulate some things entering 24. Okay. Uh, that's, that's a plausible explanation. And so is he 70%, 80% as good as he was in 22? If that's the case, like that's, that's a very valuable player to move. And, and so I, I think that that's where if the relationship is past the point of no return, which who knows it may be, uh, I, I tend to think that Manoa is someone that we're, we're looking at as a really strong candidate to be moved. And, and I'm of the mind that if Juan Soto becomes a Blue Jay, that very likely Alec Manoa is a Padre. Yeah, I think that would make a lot of sense. I think I know the answer to this question, but why would I wonder such things when I could just ask someone like you? I don't see a world where Soto's traded before Otani signs, but could you see a team, and, you know, there's been mixed reporting on this, they've been out, they've been in, but could you see a team like, say, the Yankees, who it doesn't seem like are in on Otani, just saying, all right, I don't want to wait around, I don't want the Blue Jays to miss out on that and start up in their offer. Do you think a team could get aggressive and kind of force the Soto trade now, or do you think that it is only smart for the Padres to wait until Otani sorts himself out to have all the possible suitors in there? I think it makes sense to wait, but to your point, if the Yankees get aggressive and, and want to jump the line, so to speak, then then it would not surprise me at all if if that deal were to happen sometime this week. It's, his market is Soto's trade market is related to Otani's market, but there are teams that are involved on Soto that aren't really candidates to get. Otani, I would even mention the Mariners as being one of those possibilities. The Mariners, a team that just cleared a whole bunch of salary and just traded a left-handed bat in Jared Kelnick. So there's there's a need there, uh, and when we don't believe that they're a finalist for Shohei, so uh, it, it's an interesting insight. I, I it's, it sure seems like there's a bit of a staring contest going on right now between the Yankees and Padres, and I would expect that uh, that around the time that Shohei is makes his decision that likely the Soto move will occur, whether it's right before, right after, or a week after it's, it's going to be around the same time. And, and I, I do believe I'm, I'm fairly convinced with about 80 to 90% confidence that Soto is going to be traded at some point. Soto 
he's just the easiest way for them to reduce payroll. He's the easiest way for them to bring in some young talent. Mm-hmm. And that just that right now to me seems uh, I will use the words almost inevitable that that he is that he is traded in the in the coming weeks. Mm-hmm. Not quite Thanos, but like almost Thanos. Who is inevitable, as we all know. Uh, John, uh, always a pleasure. A- enjoy uh, the rest of the week in Nashville, man. You got it. I- I'll save all my Patrick Kane takes for later, my friends. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get back to that amazing sport once I'm once I'm out of the winter meetings bubble. Sounds good. See you, John. All the best, guys. Thank you so much, uh, John Morosi, MLB Network, our insider, who is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online. And in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. I didn't expect you to go Thanos there. I don't no. have a problem with the reference. It's right in my wheelhouse. Uh, I, my, I, you're a Marvel guy? I Formerly. I'm out now. But yeah, I, I had a dalliance. I had a lot of time sitting on We all had a lot of time sitting yeah. on the couch. So yeah, binge well, through them all. We, we got a break before we get to Peter King, but... Here's how the DH at bats oh, worked last year. I thought you were about to give me your Marvel fandom, and I was like, no, I can't no. do that. Brandon Belt, yeah. 69 games as the designated hitter for the Toronto Blue Jays. That that was the most okay. uh, most games as the DH for the Toronto Blue Jays. Second most, mm. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., mm. 35 oh, games. That's... Third most games at DH, George Springer, 21. So that's... that's that's 56 games between Vlad yeah. and George Springer at DH, mm. which if you sign Shohei Otani is what, like combined five maybe? Like how many? If you're, yeah. if you're giving Shohei Otani $50 million a year for the next decade. Well, and he's not pitching next year, right? That's right. the part that complicates this. Yeah, like he's but, not going to play 162, but you'd certainly like him to play 145 plus. This is where I would remind everyone, and I'm, I'm sure you didn't forget about this, but of Jeff Blair's report, the Blue Jays possibly looking at moving off of George Springer's money mm-hmm. uh, or trying to move some of that out. So if that if there is possibility there, you know, there's still more games than you'd like out of Vlad, but if you're looking at ways to get out of DH at-bats to clear him out for Shohei, that's certainly one. Comedian and actor Sebastian Maniscalco coming to Scotiabank Arena on November 22nd next year as part of his It Ain't Right tour. We're giving away tickets. Andrew, all you have to do is tune into episodes of the Fan Morning Show, listen for the code word, then text the code word to 590-590. Today's code word is November. Text November to 590-590 right now to enter for your chance to win. If you don't win with us, make sure to go to ticketmaster.ca to secure your tickets. All right, when we come back, Peter King, football morning in America. What's going on with Zach Wilson and uh, the AFC playoff picture? that has uh, no starting quarterbacks. Uh, that's next. So the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Man, there are some... Uh, Interesting football squadrons currently in playoff positions in both the AFC and the NFC. I mean, the Colts are the seventh seed in the AFC with Gardner Minshew. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers with uh, their all their negative point differential and now no Kenny Pickett until, I don't know, maybe the, the end of the regular season they're in there. You misspoke. The great uh-huh. Gardner Minshew. Yep. Uh, and in the NFC, man. What a turnaround for the Packers and and Jordan Love. They are currently in the in the seventh seed in the NFC playoff picture. The AFC looks a little interesting 
after uh, yesterday's uh, injury to Trevor Lawrence, we don't know the significance yet. Looks like an ankle injury. Might just be an ankle sprain, which is a lot better than, man, it looked like on the field when he was slamming his helmet on the ground. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk to Peter King of Football Morning in America and NBC Sports. How's it going, Peter? Everything's going good, guys. How about you? Uh, it would be a lot better if, like, uh, Shohei Otani signed, like, right now. But, yeah, no, other than that, we're, we're, we're doing he good. Going, hey, let me just ask you okay. this. I'm curious. Is he going to the Jays? I mean, it's, it's very plausible. Yeah, Vegas has them as the second favorites behind the Dodgers. And, yeah, the big report was overnight uh, Ken Rosenthal reporting that he was in Dunedin, the, the Blue Jays spring training yeah. complex um, yesterday. So, I, I don't know. We're on high alert here, Peter. That's a, that's all I can tell you. I personally wouldn't like him to sign for at least the next 15-ish minutes because I would love to enjoy this conversation with you unencumbered. But if he wants to, like, immediately after you hang up the phone, that's a okay with me, yeah. Peter. Yeah. I, I, I would also like to see some starting quarterbacks in the AFC playoffs. Uh, it, like, there's perilously few. Four, four of the seven... Uh, AFC playoff teams currently uh, operating with backup quarterbacks. I mean, who do, who does that benefit? All I can say is, after what Jake Browning did last night, <laughs> I don't know what the definition of a backup right. quarterback is. I mean, first of all, he, the Bengals going with Jake Browning had been widely derided uh, coming out of training camp, including by me. And I just thought, how can you do that with a guy who gets hurt a lot, uh, like Joe Burrow? And I just thought to myself, you guys need to invest. I remember a long time ago when Nick Foles, the year that the Eagles uh, went to the Super Bowl, when Nick Foles, Doug Peterson was talking to me like, hey, listen, the backup quarterback oftentimes can be one of the 10 most important players on your roster. And so you think about that and you think about, you know, obviously when Nick Foles was in power in Philadelphia, he won a Super Bowl. And that to me was something that really kind of, I don't want to say bugged me about, uh, about what the Bengals did, but I have to totally, absolutely unequivocally eat my words because honestly, when you think about what you saw last night, it just goes to show you that you have to take every case, every one, individually. You can't just say, well, you know, you get a backup quarterback. There's four backup quarterbacks in the playoffs. There's whatever. All I can say is, I'm not saying he's going to do that every week. But all I can say is, that was an absolutely above-average solid starter performance. And so I don't know what the Bengals are now. I thought they were lost sheep and lost sheeps in the pasture of life uh, going into the end of this NFL season. But right now, the next three weeks, Indianapolis at home, Minnesota at home, at Pittsburgh. I'm just asking you, uh, who's going to win those three games? I might like the Bengals in every one of them because of what we saw with Jake Browning, this backup quarterback last night. Yeah, it's it's entirely possible. And, you know, as much as you want to sit here and, and you should commend Jake Browning and the Bengals, I as much as we talk about this, I can't look at it as any other way 
as just damning on the Jets and their punting on the position, not just heading into the year. With the, Obviously, they had Rodgers there and the idea that Wilson was going to be able to learn. And I actually believe in that plan. Like, I can understand why they thought that would work. But then the inability to pivot after Rodgers gets hurt. And, you know, we, we had a lot of conversations with you around the deadline with Josh Dobbs, but he clearly wasn't the only answer. And, you know, I'm not suggesting the Bengals would have traded Browning, especially if Burrow's wrist was banged up like it was heading into the game that he got hurt at. But there clearly were bodies available there who, you know, weren't Tim Boyle or, or Zach Wilson. I, I can't have this conversation without immediately beelining my brain to the Jets and how different their yeah. year could have been if they just could have found yeah. one of those guys. Well, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm going to, I'm okay, going to, I'm going to argue. I'm going to argue with you. On yes. This because, because I thought where you were going to go is where I went last night when considering what it is that we were seeing. And then during the day yesterday, when there was this initial report that Zach Wilson balked at resuming being the starting quarterback of the Jets, when, uh, you know, and when I heard that, I just was saying to myself, this is insane, insane. (laughs) Zach Wilson, Zach Wilson can't balk, can't say, I don't want to play. What you, you're getting paid by this team. If they say go in, what are you doing? Not going in now. The Jets attempted to smooth this over later in the day by Robert Salas saying that never happened, blah, 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 blah. I don't know what the truth is right now. Mm-hmm. But all I can say is this. I think immediately when I watched that game last night, I think of Nathaniel Hackett. You know why? Because Nathaniel Hackett last year in Denver, first of all, 2021, coached the great Aaron Rodgers, gets a head coaching job off coaching the MVP two years in a row. And uh, so, you know, he goes to Denver. He's got a great quarterback. Oh, my God. I remember going to Broncos camp in 2022 and how excited they were and how everybody thought Broncos are going to the playoffs. They already have a playoff defense. Their offense is going to be so good now. So, And it was a disaster. He doesn't even make it out of the year. <clears throat> he gets golden parachuted to the Jets with Aaron Rodgers. And, and their season has been a disaster, as I wrote the other day. In the last 88, 88 offensive drives, over seven and a quarter games, 88 drives, four offensive touchdown drives out of 88. The Miami Dolphins had five on Sunday alone. And, and so I just look at this and again, I'm not trying to say that Hackett's a disaster. I'm just, but I'm just saying, doesn't a good coach make your team better when you've got problems? Doesn't yeah. a good coach give you a chance to win even when you have guys who are hurt? And I thought of Zach Taylor last night. I thought of Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator. Yeah. Uh, son of Bill Callahan. And I, and I just thought to myself, those guys got punched in the face in the middle of the season. And they went on the road and beat a division leader on Monday night football where the Jets can't get out of their own way. Yeah. And I just keep thinking to myself, this right here is coaching, and that is what the Jets are not demonstrating. No, uh, they're not, and it does feel like the problems there go beyond their quarterback being injured on the first offensive series of the entire season. 
Um, but on the Zach Wilson point, you know, guys with that type of draft pedigree and that type of natural arm talent, it, it it's franchises are loath to just totally discard them. And, and there's always somebody yeah. that's going to believe that they're a reclamation project. But as far as a reputation is concerned, how do you get over if this is true and he doesn't end up playing again for the Jets that he, he begged out of a, a football game? Like, how, how do you get over that reputation? Like, is it possible that we've, we've seen the last of Zach Wilson? I don't think we've seen the last of Zach Wilson, basically because you said it. You know, this guy was the second pick in the draft three years ago. And when you're the second pick of the draft, you're going to get another chance. You're going to probably get two more chances. So I don't believe that um, that even if the Jets, and I think, I mean, look, I don't know what's going to happen at the end of this year. I think the Jets um, are still a story to be written. However, it's just totally bizarre what's happened with that team, what's happened with this quarterback. I have no faith in him. Nobody, is, nobody has faith in him. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I do think right now when I look at the NFL, I think last night's game told us one thing, especially for teams trying to make the playoffs. I I just look at it and I say, let me see this quarterback for a couple of games before I say they're done. You can't win, you, you know, with this guy. I think Jake Browning showed us something last night to before we consign a guy to the garbage heap let's watch him play for a little while yeah i think there's definitely uh something something to be said about that uh i gotta look back at this last weekend with you and man i had this one circle as the game of the week and uh it was interesting for about a quarter uh then the 49ers just started punching the eagles in the mouth and they they never really uh let up Uh, you know given the conversations we've had this year i know that doesn't surprise you all that much given how the 49ers were able to perform but i'm surprised the eagles weren't able to make more of a game of it you know i know hurts got banged up at a time but that wasn't the reason they they lost that game does the scoreline at all surprise you i know i i I'm, i wouldn't be surprised if the result uh, is what you expected there but i didn't expect that game to be so one-sided between the 49ers and eagles i was surprised that the niners had their way with the eagles defensive front it, i i really think the eagles are one of the top three or four defensive fronts in football and to see what happened in this game you know, to see the Niners rush for 146 yards, to see uh, the Eagles sack Brock Purdy twice. There was a very telling play I wrote about in my column this week, the touchdown pass uh, that Purdy threw early in the fourth quarter to Jawan Jennings. When the Eagles sent a zero blitz, they've got seven rushers. And, you know, look, they have had Sean Desai, the defensive coordinator in Philadelphia, has had a really good year in scheming uh, and and in making sure that his guys uh, do well enough, uh, you know, in in pressuring the passer. And on this seven-man rush, zero of the seven pressured Brock Purdy. He had plenty of time. Uh, the best pickup of all on the blitz was Christian McCaffrey picking up a Philadelphia linebacker, Christian Ellis, and stoning him at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, the pass was perfect. Uh, 
easy touchdown, and that basically was the insurance touchdown. I only bring that up because we don't often talk about, you know, a team's offensive line as being a gigantic key to their success. But this offensive line of the San Francisco 49ers is playing fantastic right now. Since Trent Williams came back from his injury, uh, you know, they're just playing great. And so to hold the Eagles to almost zero impact in this game after the first two drives, you know, uh, Brock Purdy couldn't do anything early on. And uh, and after that, for the final three quarters of the games, to, to, to have six consecutive possessions with touchdowns. I mean, listen to this. Here's the, here's the yardage they went on the Eagles. 88, 85, 75, 77, 75, and 52 yards. A, uh, six consecutive possessions against what I consider a good NFL defense. Uh, all of them touchdowns. So to me, if the Niners stay healthy, which is a big if, they're they're easily the favorite now to come out of the NFC. But you saw what happened with Debo Samuel and Trent Williams were down. Three-game losing streak. Each one of those three games, they only scored 17 points. So they have to stay healthy to be an impact player in the postseason. Yeah, the the race for the top seed in the NFC is going to be exhilarating to watch down the stretch. And we got the Eagles and, and Cowboys uh, going to be a, a big part of it coming up this weekend. At the bottom of the NFC playoff field, though, we find Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers after their huge win over over the Chiefs this this past weekend. Packers are the youngest team in the NFL, Peter. Um, this was a big year, obviously, for Jordan Love. Did the, did the Packers expect to be this far advanced in, in their progression with their young quarterback at this point in the season? You know, I'll never forget leaving Green Bay training camp. And, you know... I am not above when I'm somewhere in person forming an opinion, positive or negative, that is probably too strong an opinion for, you know, spending one one or two days in a place. When I left there, I said, I'm picking Green Bay to make the playoffs. I just liked what I saw. I thought their defense was going to be reborn a bit. Um, and I thought that Jordan Love, I remember – you know, talking to a couple of the veterans on that team. Uh, and I just thought that these guys really like Jordan Love. I expected, like David Bakhtiari, the left tackle who's hurt now, who is one of Aaron Rodgers' best friends. He told me flat out, he goes, you know, there's something about this kid. I really like him. And one of the things I really like about him is He's not going to allow this situation to eat him up. And what he meant was, you know, everybody says, okay, you had Brett Favre, you had Aaron Rodgers, that three decades of Hall of Fame quarterbacking. Nobody gets lucky enough to have three in a row. Jordan Love, uh, how's he going to do this? And, And Bakhtiari was telling me that he's just simply, he doesn't care. He's not one of these guys who thinks of expectations or anything like that. And I think that he was very rocky at first, very shaky. One of the reasons why I think he really has improved, if you watch the way that Matt LaFleur is calling these games, he is calling games with confidence. 
And I think that is a really big deal. He is calling plays, tight window, downfield throw possibilities, uh, and telling Jordan Love, take the shot, take your shot. And so I like what Matt LaFleur is doing with him, and I like what I'm seeing out of Jordan Love. Yeah. I mean, the Packers can't help themselves but fall into great quarterbacks. I mean, how many franchises Amazing. would, would Amazing. wish to have like but one you know generation? what? I'll tell you, you know, how about the one other thing? Remember <clears throat> when on draft weekend, Brian Gutekunst was the town dunce. Mm-hmm. You know, the general manager of the Packers. What are you doing? Aaron Rodgers <clears throat> is still really good. Why would you be replacing him? And I remember talking to him that weekend, and I said, what if Rodgers plays great and and Jordan Love ends up not having a career here? And he said, hey, that'll be great for the Packers. And I think he was realistic because he knew that at the end of Love's contract, Aaron Rodgers was going to be 40 years old. So if Aaron Rodgers became like Tom Brady and played great till he's 45, hey, good good for the Packers. However, that doesn't happen maybe but once in a meteoric lifetime in the NFL. So, you know, he knew that they were going to need a quarterback, and I think it's turning out to be a great pick for the Packers. Yep, Uh, solid work there uh, by uh, Brian Gutenkens and the uh, Green Bay Packers. Uh, Always solid work from you, Peter. Thanks, uh, Thanks so much for doing this. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, fellas. See ya. Peter King, football morning in America and NBC Sports. Yeah, they they got the best of all worlds. Like Aaron Rodgers wasn't pleased at mm-hmm. the first round selection of a quarterback, but so what? He won a couple of MVPs, uh, and then he departed. Yep. You look at the game, names that went behind him too, like T. Higgins, Michael Pittman Jr., wide receivers. That yeah, they would have helped Rodgers, but it's not like you're changing the world with those selections. DeAndre Swift, a few picks later. Okay, like again, it could be nice to have for sure. Mm-hmm. Not changing uh, the world for the Packers in the meantime. Jordan Love, I don't know that he'll change the world either, but it'll give him some semblance of stability for a decade. Yeah, three NFC North teams in the playoffs right now, three AFC North teams in the playoffs as well. And here come... Just like we drew it up. The bank... Well, I mean, definitely in the AFC (laughs) North side of things, for sure. Yeah. Um, And like, yeah, here come the Bengals if Jake Browning is a thing. Now, it's like one game does not a career make. No, 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 no. We've seen this? Yes, we have. But also, like, you can't fake what Jake Browning did against a pretty formidable mm-hmm. defense yesterday. Like, yeah. Looked legit. Um, Agreed. I, I I think it's quite possible. I mean, one, that the, the Bengals make the playoffs in a, in a pretty diminished mm-hmm. AFC. I mean, they're 500 right yeah. now. And, and two, like, again, against the field that's going to be in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like, it's possible they, they win a playoff game or two. Like, I outside of, and I know I'm going to go down with the ship. Yeah, yeah. Outside of the Chiefs. Yeah. Honestly, like, you can't convince me that there's some other team that's that's unbeatable in the AFC. And, and obviously, the Chiefs are very beatable. But, like, there's no team that I would favor against anybody. Yeah, I don't think I like Jake Browning's chances in a shootout with the with the Dolphins. Not that I love the Dolphins either. I can't believe I'm about to Dolphins do it. Dolphins could lose yeah, the Bengals. Yeah, they could. It's just they're going to have to score, like, 40 points to do it. I can't believe I'm about to do this. But we have to stop talking about this. There was news overnight. Do we get more news today? 
Where's your spidey senses? Are they tingling? Do we get a report about the Dodgers? Do we get a full-on Shohei signing? Gut reaction as we're leaving the air for the day. I actually changed my opinion. I oh. thought it was, he was going to sign the first couple of days at the winter meetings. I don't think he signs until next week. I Agreed. I, I think we get more news, but I don't think he signs until yep. next week. Heyman we'll had that report as well yesterday, so we shall see. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. This has been the Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Good, Good morning. morning.